Amen. Somebody say amen. Amen. Thank you. God is good. May his praise be ever on our lips. He has taken such good care of us. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 27. If you have your Bible and your word, you want to open up to that. You know, rejection hurts. We are rejected for some reason. You know, little children feel the pain of rejection when one of their peers gets called upon to either uh, you know, say the poem or, or sing a song in class. They, they feel like, man, I didn't get called on. As they grow older, some of them are not going to be chosen for the varsity team. Or maybe they're not going to be chosen. They're going to be turned down by a girl they want to date. Or maybe some may marry and even have their, their mate leave them for another person. They may wonder why the Lord allows them to be rejected. Now, rejection is hard to take. And I don't have any easy answers for people who have been hurt like this. But I can encourage them to look to Jesus. Remembering how he experienced rejection. He's been through everything that we could possibly imagine. He was rejected by his brothers. He was rejected by his countrymen. He heard the crowd demand his crucifixion. I mean, when you feel the deep hurt of rejection, remember that Jesus understands how you feel. And he loves you. See, we all have to deal with that from time to time in our lives. Rejection from one thing or another. If you have believed in Jesus Christ, He has accepted you. And He will never, ever reject you. See, in John chapter 6, it tells us that. He said, I will, I will never cast you out. I will never be through with you. You come to me, I will never cast you out. I want to read in Matthew chapter 27. I want to begin in verse 15. And we're going to be talking about a fellow by the name of Barabbas today. Verse 15 and following says, Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the people any one prisoner whom they wanted. At that time, they were holding a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when the people gathered together, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew that because of envy they had handed him over. While he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent him a message saying, Have nothing to do with that righteous man, for last night I suffered greatly in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowds to ask for Barabbas and to put Jesus to death. But the governor said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? They all said, Crucify him. 
And he said, why, what evil has he done? But they kept shouting all the more, saying, crucify him. When Pilate saw that he was accomplishing nothing, but rather that he, a riot was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to that yourselves. And all the people said, his blood shall be on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas for them. But after having Jesus scourged, he handed him over to be crucified. Loving Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for um, the gift of your word. Father, as we read your word, we recognize that you speak to us through it. And I pray that would be the case this morning. Father, that your Holy Spirit would convict us of all truth. And Father, that we would see Jesus, our Lord and Savior, high and lifted up. Father, that you would just transform us because of our time together this morning. Lord, we love you. We praise you. Guide us in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, Barabbas must be a very important character in, in the Bible. Because there's 38 verses that talk about Barabbas. You know, we, we, we've heard of Judas. And we recognize that name. And, you know, he's pretty famous too. But there's only 32 verses about Judas in the Bible. And so you have, you have Barabbas who has more verses. And more verses have to do with him than Judas. Yet Barabbas didn't do anything. He didn't do any work, so to speak. We don't have any words that Barabbas spoke written down that we, that we have a record of. And he's known only for that brief hour in which his path crossed the path of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Of course, many people, many people only have prominence because their lives cross the path of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I believe, folks, that that's a biblical principle. That our lives have real significance only when our lives intersect with the life of Jesus Christ. That we have purpose, that we have significance because our lives have intersected with Jesus Christ. So important. Barabbas was the only man in the Bible who could ever say in the most physical sense, he's the only man in the Bible alone that could say this, Christ died for me. Think about that. He was on trial. He was a prisoner. He was going to die. And Christ took his place. So he becomes a rather eloquent illustration of the story of the cross of Jesus Christ. You know, there's a song that goes kind of way back. I probably date myself. The title is, I Should Have Been Crucified. I Should Have Been Crucified. And it goes like this. It says, I was guilty with nothing to say. And they were coming to take me away when the voice from heaven was heard that said, let him go, take me instead. And I should have been crucified. I should have suffered and died. I should have hung on the cross in disgrace. But Jesus, God's son, took my place. 
That crown of thorns, a spear in his side, and all the pain, it should have been mine. Those rusty nails were meant for me. Oh, but Christ took them and let me go free. I should have been crucified. I mean, that could really sum up the experience of Barabbas. I should have been crucified. He could have sung that song and meant it with all of his being. But you see, everyone, everyone who has been born from above has the right to sing that song. I should have been crucified because we have that similar experience with Barabbas. You see, Barabbas was, was given a worthy sentence. Barabbas was in prison. He was in prison, and he was a notable prisoner. It says here, notorious. According to Mark 15, 7, he was held on the charge of murder and insurrection. John chapter 15, excuse me, 18, verse 40, tells us that he was a robber. So he was, he was guilty of murder, he was guilty of insurrection, he was guilty of robbery. Some people might have thought that maybe he was kind of like a, a Robin Hood of that day. You know, kind of stealing from the rich and, and giving to the poor. But maybe Barnabas's crimes were politically motivated. Maybe he saw the injustices of the Roman government. Maybe they were political, politically motivated and done out of a sense of outrage at the injustice. But folks, this doesn't excuse him. I mean, many people who reject Christ, they possess sharp moral sensibilities, but they still need to believe in Jesus Christ to accept Him as their Savior. See, the point is Barabbas deserved to die for his sins. Maybe he represents every person. Since he really doesn't have a, a first name. You know, the distinguishing name. None of that is given. You know, but we might, as we sit here today, we might be offended at being associated with a criminal. Maybe even a terrorist like Barabbas. We don't want to be associated with that. But the Bible makes it very clear that all have sinned. Each and every one of us has sinned. We are all sinners. We are all under the sentence of death. See, the hand that is innocent of murder is governed by a heart full of hatred, anger. That's what Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount. You know, if you think about murder in your heart, it's as if you committed murder. My point is this. God is concerned with what is in our hearts. Just because we don't do the physical act doesn't mean that we didn't commit murder. Just because we don't do the physical act doesn't mean that we didn't commit adultery. 
You see, because as we are in our hearts, that's what God sees. Our motives, the things behind what we do, those thoughts that we have, those things that we hang on to, those sins that we nurture, He sees it all. He's concerned more about our hearts. So we see Barabbas' expected fate. I mean, Barabbas was not naive. He knew what he was doing. No one put a gun to his head for him to commit the robbery. No one put a gun to his head to, to, for him to commit murder or to be guilty of insurrection and raising up a mob against the Roman government. He knew what awaited him. He would have no series of appeals to exhaust while he waited on death row. You see, execution was imminent. Pilate, he hoped that the popularity of Jesus among the people would probably make the decision for him. Do you want me to release Jesus? The one who's walked among you and healed among you? The one who calls himself the Christ? Or do you want this ISIS, ISIS terrorist? You see what I'm saying? He was hoping on the popularity of Jesus among the people. But folks, you cannot stay neutral when you think about Jesus. You can never rely on the popular opinion of the people when it comes to your relationship with Jesus Christ. See, Pilate knew what was right, but he refused to do anything about it. See, as the governor, Pilate was supposed to uphold the law. As a politician, he knew he had to get along with the people. And as a man, he knew that one day he would stand in judgment for what he did with Jesus. See, he looked for the easy way, not the right way. And so Pilate has gone down in history as the man who condemned Jesus. He took the easy road. I want you to consider something briefly from our text. In verse 19, it says, While he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent him a message saying, Have nothing to do with that righteous man, for last night I suffered greatly in a dream because of him. Think about this. You know, Adam and Eve, Adam sinned by listening to his wife. Pilate sinned by not listening to his wife. She had such a strong conviction of right and wrong, and she had the courage to testify to Jesus' righteousness and his innocence. She was the only person who came to the defense of Jesus in, when he was on trial. All of his disciples fled. There was nobody else around. She was the only one who said he is an innocent man. 
have nothing to do with him. So she sends a message to her husband. At the most important trial the world has ever seen, not to condemn Jesus. See, I think that's huge. We need to listen up, guys. Your wife may have insights that you as her husband lacks. And therefore, it would be wise to listen to her. See, remember, God could have just as easily given the dream to Pilate. But he chose to give it to his wife. Although Pilate's wife does not succeed in convincing her husband, she rightly gives him, him her assessment of the situation. And there's a principle here. As spouses, we should regard what their mates, in, their mates input as valuable. We need to take that and listen to it. See, remember, our spouses bring us different perspective. And considering the other point of view helps us to see life with two eyes, two sets of eyes, and not just one. You get a different perspective on it from listening to your spouse. Okay, moving on. There was a major prison in Jerusalem, but not like a prison like we think about a prison. We're not talking about concertina wire and all that kind of stuff, razor wire all around the place. What we're talking about is, think of it more generally in, in, in terms of a holding cell. Okay, and what I mean by that is a place where they put prisoners because prisoners didn't last long in the Roman Empire. They executed them. They got rid of them. They turned them loose or got rid of them. So they didn't need a big facility to house them. They were going to be in this holding cell for a limited number of time. And once that time is up, they're going to be gone. But it was a major deal there in Jerusalem. Now, a notable prisoner would no doubt have been held there. And the prison was located probably a half a mile or so from where Pilate and Jesus we're on the platform. Think about this. It's possible that Barabbas in the jail cell could have only heard one side of the dialogue. Pilate may have asked the people, who do you want me to release to you, Jesus or Barabbas? And the crowd yelled, Barabbas! Barabbas! So what is he here? Barabbas! And Jesus said, well, what do you want me to do with Jesus, who's called the Christ? And they said, crucify him! Crucify him! What do you think Barabbas heard? Crucify him! He washes his hands. He says, I'm innocent of this man's blood. And they said, his blood will be on us and our children. I mean, you put all that together, they're yelling, Barabbas, crucify him. His blood is on us and our children. When he came out of that cell, he certainly must have expected to die. The sentence was going to be carried out. 
Anything else would have been amazing and surprising. My question to you this morning is, have we heard the sentence of law pronounced against us? Do you know that you are a sinner bound for hell? Because of your sin and because of my sin, we deserve death. Have we heard the high standards of holiness that God requires? Standards that none of us can live up to in our own strength and our own righteousness? As you stand before Almighty God on that day, what will you say? Well, I was just kind of thinking if the good outweighs the bad. Not good enough. Well, my dad's a preacher. Still not good enough. Well, I'm a member of the church. Doesn't matter. Who's going to pay the sin debt? See, when I stand before him on that day, I'm going to claim the blood of Jesus Christ. That washes me and cleanses me. Because it's not my righteousness. It's his righteousness. We need to understand that. See, there was a legendary French infidel on his deathbed. He said this. He said, God will forgive. It's his job. But recognize that forgiveness is always a choice and it's always a gift. Forgiveness is a choice and a gift. We are never closer to understanding the incomprehensible grace of God than when we realize that we do not deserve His favor. God doesn't owe us anything. He's given us everything. And He owes us nothing. See, we often sing about amazing grace. And I wonder if we believe that. Or if we've just come to expect it. In a nation that is eat up with entitlement. That you owe me this. You owe me this living. You owe me this standard. You owe me this. God does not owe us anything. What we deserve is death. And in His goodness. In His grace. He gave His Son as the price for our sin. So that we could be made right with Him. So that our sin would be forgiven. We did all the sinning. And Jesus did all the dying. But apart from Him. There is no pardon for our sin. But we have a choice. And that choice has to do with the gift that God has given us. Could a man like Barabbas expect a pardon and forgiveness? What he could rightfully expect was justice. But he found something totally different. Here in this passage we see a glorious substitute. A.T. Robertson wrote this. He said, they chose Barabbas in preference to Jesus. And apparently Jesus died on the very cross planned for Barabbas. 
Let that sink in. They crucified Jesus on the cross that was cut and meant for Barabbas. You know, I recently read about a young man who was doing some acting in a college play. And the, the play had as its climactic scene uh, a scene in which this young man got down on one knee and he proposed to this lovely young lady. And, um, you know, as, as fate would have it, at the same time he was proposing on one knee, uh, there was a window opened up and a, uh, a former boyfriend um, sticks a rifle out that window and he, he's supposed to shoot the young man while he's proposing to, to this, this, this fair maiden. And uh, after he shoots him, he, he's supposed to exclaim, Good heavens, I've been shot. But it's kind of less than enthusiastic. You know, the, the, the director's not real happy about it. He's, he's less than happy about the lack of enthusiasm. So just before opening night, the director goes up into his son's room and he's looking around at the mess and he, he sees this air rifle. He sees a BB gun there. And he's tempted and he thinks about it and he says, yeah, I'm going I'm to I'm take this with me. So he took the, the BB gun and the night, that night at the crucial point in the play, when the young man was on his knees and he was proposing to this young lady and, and, and her former boyfriend opened the window, the director also pointed the air rifle, the BB gun at him and shot him in the backside. And he jumped about six feet in the air and he said, good heavens, I've been shot. He couldn't get him to do it. Folks, that's what we need. We need application to the Word of God. You know, when we think about that, in the application of the Word of God, it's important that we determine what is the spiritual significance on the account of this account and lay some stress on it. And I do think that Barabbas' story that in that there is a remarkable illustration and an eloquent testimony to the fact that Jesus Christ died for our sins. Not only did He take our sins upon Himself. Isaiah 53 says, Surely our griefs He Himself bore. And our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. God put our sin, your sin, and my sin on his servant Jesus. He bore our sins. Wait for it. We have his righteousness imputed to us. What that means is his righteousness is credited to us. 
The word impute means to credit, to be accredited. So, so what that means is that means when we accept Jesus as our Savior and Lord, yes, He has borne our sins, but we also carry His righteousness with us then. This is huge. Because that means when we stand before Almighty God, He is not seeing rich and riches sin. He is seeing Jesus Christ and His righteousness. And that means... And I'm not going to get what I deserve. I'm going to walk away. Just like Barabbas did that day. Life intact. Then I'm not going to get what I deserve. What the, 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 the penalty that I should be paying. I am no longer going to have to pay. Because my sin debt is paid in full. By Jesus Christ. See, we are in Christ, and this expression is one of Paul's favorite, and it includes the believer's close union with Christ. We are so intimately connected to Christ that when God looks at us, He sees the righteousness of Christ and not our own sinfulness. Even more, we are joint heirs with Jesus. We share in his inheritance. This is truly grace. Because I know where I've been. And you know where you've been. And none of us deserve it. None of us. See, we have this in common with Barabbas. Those of us who have received Christ, we've been given far more than we ever deserved. And you see, gratitude in response to grace is the basis of Christian service and discipleship. Because of what we have received in the grace of Jesus Christ, it causes us to want to serve others and to follow Jesus more closely. You know, Reinhold Niebuhr, he said this, he said, you may be able to compel people to maintain certain minimum standards by stressing duty. But the highest moral and spiritual achievements depend not on a push, but on a pull. See, Jesus spoke of a kingdom not based on human achievement. But Barabbas was a man of action. He was a man who got things done, who took the bull by the horns, so to speak. He was seeking to bring in a perfect kingdom. What did the crowd prefer? Whom would they prefer today? See, the man of action, he was free through no merit or work of his own. And in the same way, it's that way with everyone who receives the gift of salvation. You did nothing for it. You did all the sinning. Christ did all the bleeding and the dying for us. Listen, your greatest challenge is not your discipline, it's not your devotion, it's not your focus. Your greatest challenge is believing the gospel. Believing that God loves you that much 
I mean, could it be that there's a God with a love that is so scandalous, so wide, so deep, so vast, so high, so expansive, so welcoming, that He would say, just give me your sin, son, daughter, just give me your sin. And you do. I'm sure Barabbas thought that it was the people that set him free. The people didn't set Barabbas free. Pilate didn't set Barabbas free. It was only the love of the Father that set Barabbas free. I can just hear it. As if God the Father was saying, I love Barabbas and I wanted him to go free. That does something to us. The murderer, the robber, the insurrectionist. I love Barabbas and I wanted him to go free. But didn't you know that he wouldn't even acknowledge the gift that you're giving him? Yeah, but I love him. Bridge, remember this. While you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. So you're saying you sent your son Jesus for Barabbas, even the one who would walk away from Jesus in his gift and maybe never come back? I love Barabbas. And I wanted him to go free. So who is this Barabbas, really? Barabbas is you. Barabbas is me. Barabbas is us. We are Barabbas. How many times have I stood on that platform with Pilate and Jesus? And I'm Barabbas. They started to take my chains off. I said, no, no, I deserve this. I deserve the guilt. I deserve the shame. I deserve the consequences. I deserve it. And Jesus responds, no, son, let me have it. Let me have your sin. Let me have your pain. But God, I'm so ashamed. Give me your shame. But what if I do it again? I'll be here again. God, I don't want to do this anymore. Give me your sins, son, daughter. You see, his blood, the blood of Jesus Christ is sufficient for your salvation. His blood is sufficient to sustain you through every challenge through every sin, through every temptation. And I say, praise God. I'll take Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> I'll take Jesus. Yeah. I know what I've done. I know where I've been. Just give me Jesus. Yeah. Let's pray. Loving Father, I thank you. I thank you that you loved us so much that you gave your one and only Son. 
that whoever believes in Him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. Father, I thank, I thank You that in Your love, while I was still a sinner, You loved me. Father, I'm thankful that You gave Your Son Jesus to die for my sin, so that on that day I will not get what I deserve. Father, I will receive your grace and your mercy instead. For that, Father, I am forever grateful that the love of Jesus compelled him to the cross to give his life for mine in exchange so that I could be made right with you. Father, I can't imagine that kind of unconditional love. To be able to experience it is a joy. But Father, I pray that you would help each one of us to experience that same salvation that comes through Christ. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would convict our hearts. Father, that we would bring our brokenness, our sin, our guilt, our shame, bring it all and lay it at the feet of Jesus. So that we too can be made whole. Father, thank you for this time. And I ask that you would guide our time of response. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.